You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Amen. It's great to have Camp Nudemick uh, staff and people with us. And Darlene does make the greatest cookies in the, the Winnipeg region. And uh, so, praise God, I had to say the Winnipeg region because my mom's here and she's from Kenora. So, uh, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Camp uh, was always a very important inspiration in my young uh, Christian life. I uh, went to a place near Godridge, Ontario called Camp Hermosa. And it was very important in forming my uh, spiritual life. So praise God for camp. And it's great to see our church involved. Let's pray together. Would you join with me in prayer? Gracious God, our Father, uh, we just talked about how you can move mountains. And how you're mighty to save. How you are our lighthouse. And you will take us safe to the shore. Lord, uh, these are... Big metaphors that describe our faith journey. And Lord, I uh, pray this morning for each one of us who have gathered here in this place and those that might be listening to the sermon later on. We pray, Father, for the things that are mountains or rough waters that we are, are walking on or traveling on. We pray, Father, that you might be the one who takes us safely that even in this message, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit would be present to take us by the hand and show us the exact place of our footsteps in the coming days that we might walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, there's people that are facing difficulties, we pray, um, in every situation that you might be our rock, our redeemer, our strength, our stronghold, our refuge, our help in time of trouble. Bless this time we open up our hearts to you now and our minds as we ask you to minister to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through a series on the life of David. It's quite uh, fascinating to consider that in the scriptures we have more biographical information about David than any other Old Testament character. And we have more quotations uh, in, in the New Testament from David than any other character. So we have an uh, incredible uh, volume of, of information to look at when we think of David. He's called a man after God's own heart. And yet in, in the last uh, few Sundays, we've been seeing how this man that's after God's own heart has made some very serious blunders. He has some very bad faith days. And he uh, does not always walk according to God's ways. Sometimes we see him take refuge in other places than God. By faith, sometimes we see him take matters into his own hands instead of trusting God to, to resolve matters. When David flees from King Saul because he's uh, trying to take his life, we see fear get in the way of good judgment. We talked a bit about that last week, how we seldom make good decisions when we're living on the basis of fear. And a particularly low point in David's life is when he kind of pleads insanity ahead of the Philistine king. And uh, there, there has to, uh, God, by the grace of God, is, saves his life. But we see him, beget, because of fear, giving in. But there's other kinds of things that take hold of our lives and perhaps even could be as, as heavy as called insanity. One author I read talks about anger being also a temporary form of insanity. And indeed, that's what we're going to look at today. 
uh, anger in David's life. Wayne Dyer, an author, said that severe anger is a form of insanity because when you're insane, you're not in control of your behavior. When you get angry and out of control, you are temporarily insane. Interesting language. You know, there's three huge battles that David faces in his life that we see in Scripture. Fear we've talked about today, we're going to look at anger. The other one that we'll look at next fall, because it comes in 2 Samuel, is lust. When you look at these three, fear and anger and lust, they are incredibly powerful forces that come upon a person, come upon our lives. And if we are not careful to immediately address them and get our focus back on God and call down God's power, they will take us. They are equally as strong as any addiction that we can, could imagine facing. And I have talked to people that have faced addiction and the, their testimony is that the only thing that could overcome their addiction was the power of God through Jesus Christ delivering them. And so we see and we can identify with some of these strong forces in David's life. And today we're going to take a look at anger. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25. The Bible story, the historical account of chapter 25 begins with the announcement that the prophet Samuel has died. And he has been a refuge for David. And now David has to flee from Saul further into the desert, into caves and strongholds to escape for his life. And we see that as he is traveling in this desert, he comes across the property of a very, very wealthy man named Nabal. Now, it's a very obscure story. It's the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. But here in chapter 25, Nabal is mentioned. And we are learning, we learn three things about Nabal right off the bat. Number one, he's a very wealthy man. Number two, he has a very intelligent and beautiful wife. And number three, uh, he is very shrewd and surly and mean in his dealings. That's in verse 2, chapter 25, verse 2. And so... David finds out that Nabal is shearing his sheep. He's got thousands of sheep. It's sheep shearing time. And he, because David and his men have protected Nabal's sheep and shepherds during their time on the hillside from raiders and thieves, David sends a delegation of ten men to say, hey, this is who I am. God bless you. Is there anything you want to give me for the fact that I've, I've protected you these last months? Well, he's a fool. And Nabal responds in verse 10. By saying not only something that's very unmerciful, but rather mean-spirited. He says, he says in verse 10, Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and meat and I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Well, he knew exactly who David was. The whole world at that time in Israel and Philistine company, they, they knew who David was. He was just being uh, selfish and being foolish and hoarding his own food. David gets the report, and in verse 13 we see he is livid. He, he, he just flares off in anger, and he says to his men, Put on your swords! He's not taking anything here. He is, he is, he's on his way. He's not thinking, he's not pausing, he's not praying. He is angry. And so he sends a delegate, or he goes with a delegation of 400 soldiers, but by the mercy of God, a servant of Nabal's 
Here's what has, his master has said. He tells his beautiful, intelligent wife, Abigail, who says, uh, quickly puts together the biggest ancient Near Eastern care package that ever was formed. And it's made up of a whole bunch of 200 loaves of bread. There's wine, there's sheep meat, there's roasted grain and, and raisins and figs. And, and there must have been a whole string of donkeys carrying all this stuff on the way to meet David, who is armed and ready to kill. Now, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 25, we'll pick up the story in verse 20. And if you'd like to stand with me to hear God's word, I'd, I'd ask you to do that now. Chapter 25 and verse 20. It says about Abigail as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine. There were David and his men descending toward her and she met them. David had just said to himself, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of his, who, uh, of all who belong to him. And when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground, fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men that my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. And when the Lord has done for my master every good thing that he has promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master's success, remember your servant." David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you this day to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. And David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace I have heard your words and granted your request. May God bless his word. You may be seated. It's hard to believe that this David is the same David as the David that we have been looking at as he is running from Saul. He has been running from Saul, being hunted down like a dog, being falsely accused, and yet in every instance keeping peace, not harming, not, not taking vengeance, when he had the opportunity to, and yet one old fool says something silly and he snaps and he flies off the handle. I'd like to look at this passage according to the template that we see that Paul the Apostle gives us in Romans chapter 12. You'll notice that we have four points from that green insert in your bulletin. And there are four things that Paul says about revenge found in chapter 12 of 
of Romans and verses 17 to 21. And the first thing that he says is, do not repay evil for evil, verse 17 in Romans 12, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In verse 19, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. Very common language. Don't retaliate is what Paul is saying. And we all know that it seems logical that if if we live by the code of an eye for an eye, it's just going to leave all of us blind, right? And so there's got to be another way. And Paul says, do not take revenge. Do not repay evil for evil. A whack across the wrists in a hockey game does not call for an equally but more sneaky whack later on in the game. That's the code we're taught to live by when we put on the skates. That's the code that we're taught to even live by somehow growing up in the schoolyard. But it's not a kingdom ethic. I remember very, very early in my life, I was in grade nine, and I was professing a Christian at that time in my life. And it was one of those moments uh, where God took me to this lesson, and I had a hard time gulping it down in the moment. I was in grade nine. It was just before the opening bell for all of us to go to our homeroom classes. We were in the gymnasium playing basketball, and a friend of mine was being an absolute jerk. He was tripping people, disrupting the game, pushing people. If he got the ball, he'd run with it instead of dribble. And, and everybody was getting really annoyed. And at one point, he tripped someone. I can't remember if it was me or someone else, but I turned around and I smacked him. Right in the face. And it felt good for just one second. And then I felt awful. And I apologized to him. Well, by now, everybody's not interested in the basketball game because a fight is starting on, uh, in the gym. And so, so all of a sudden, it's just, just circling around. And, and I, I apologized to him. And I decided in my mind I'd go to the eye for the eye code. And I said to him, okay, I'm not going to fight you. But if you want to hit me, go ahead and hit me. And he clobbered me in the face way harder than I hit him. <laughs> and I thank God to this day that I didn't hit him back. But it was a hard lesson to learn this, this idea of not taking revenge yourself. You see, we don't keep the right accounts when it comes to this in the first place. Your, your record of what is just and fair and my record of what is just and fair are likely not ever going to line up when there is a dispute between us. And so we go from the gymnasium to the hockey rink to the more adult harder to detect ways of seeking vengeance. You see, the point is that the spirit that fuels our behavior when we've been mistreated or wronged is probably the same in the schoolyard as it is in the boardroom. Someone has wronged us, we want revenge, we want justice, we want to be vindicated, we want to justify ourselves. And the key, if we're going to live according to a higher standard that Christ calls us to, is to stop in the middle of that moment. You see, the lessons that you learn by faith when you study, read the Bible, when you pray it through, when you listen to a sermon, the lessons of those things are to be brought to mind in the middle of that moment. Bring it to mind right there. Someone has offended you. What do you do? What do you do? Do you absorb? Do you forgive? Do you take it to the cross? 
Or do you retaliate? Do you treat them as they treated you? David, you see, responds to Nabal according to a very predictable way. In verse 21, he is musing to himself on the way with his sword at his side. As David does so often in the Psalms, this self-talk is going on. But this time, he's not under the control of the Spirit. He's under the control of the flesh. And the self-talk is not good. It's not like Psalm 42 where he's saying, why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. You know, he's not doing that. He is saying instead in verse 21, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. You see, David is convincing himself. David is justifying himself. David is on the point of of actually feeling that he is about to be uh, the vessel of God's justice upon Nabal. And we can all go there in our little puny moments. We live in a sinful world where being mistreated is inevitable. We ought to arm ourselves not with our swords, but with forgiveness. And the key to this, in my understanding, is that if a person is if the, if a person's actions against me are going to be the standard by which I respond to them, then I am no better than them. Then I am letting them set the agenda. Then I am actually a slave to them because they're setting the agenda. And I am bound to therefore to respond to them in like manner as they have responded to me. That's the way of the world. We do that without even thinking. That's predictable. Do you want to live predictably? You see, the other way is the, is the way of the cross. To look at the cross. To take the reference point not being how that person has mistreated you, but to take the reference point of how God has treated you. And when I look at the Scriptures, and when I look at my own experience, and when I consider what Jesus Christ did for me at the cross, there's no way I can hold a grudge Or take revenge upon anyone else ever. Ever. Because the incredible debt that I have been forgiven of by the living God against Him is is so minute compared to anything that anyone could ever do to me on the horizontal plane. You see, we we react that way to other people because we've not meditated on the cross enough. We're not aware enough of how much we've been forgiven of. For he who has been forgiven of much loves much. And so, we live in this kind of a world that can dictate to us how we can live. But there is a better way, a kingdom code. We look in Isaiah chapter 53, this incredible passage of Scripture where Jesus is described to us, pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was put upon Him. By His wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Goes on to say that though there was no wrong in him, he had done no violence, nothing that was guilt on him, yet he bore our sin on the cross. That's the reference point. It has to be. That's the radical, selfless, sacrificial love of Christ. You can live predictably, or you can live by faith. How are you going to live? That's the first thing Paul and David learn is that 
that first of all, do not take matters into your own hands. Do not respond with uh, the, the evil versus evil but respond with good. Secondly, live at peace with all people. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, live at peace with all people. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. It's amazing to see the contrast that has David between Saul and Nabal. In Saul, the case of Saul, he's, he's able to go to great lengths. He puts, up, he puts up with so much abuse from Saul. And he keeps on just forgiving and moving on and and, and, and as far as it depended on David, he was at peace with Saul. But one word from this man, Nabal, and he flies off the handle. I wonder if you and I don't have our certain grid system of our peacekeeping as well. That with one person, we might bear all kinds of crap. And with another person, one or two words, and we just fly off the handle. Isn't that interesting? Usually, if you dig deeper beneath that, the motive is there's some self-serving motive why you're going to tolerate one person so much and not another. And the rule of thumb that the God's Word has is that as far as it depends on you, you should be trying to live at peace. You know, I've been a pastor for over 25 years. And uh, I have talked to numerous people when there have been offenses and disagreements, and relational problems. And I hear it, I I would say the majority, not the minority of the times, but the majority of the times, the the message I get from people is, hey, you know, they wronged me. If they want to make it right, they they know where I live. They can come and talk to me. I've heard that countless times. And yet, what does the Scripture say? Jesus doesn't make it so simple as that. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. What does Jesus say? He says, if you are there and you remember that your brother has something against you, the initiative is upon you to do something about it to reconcile. Interesting. It's interesting how selective we can be about Scripture and conveniently avoid that one. You know, it's not the things in the Scriptures that I don't understand that bother me the most. It's the things that we do understand in Scripture that should cause us to stay awake at night a little bit more often and ponder, am I really living obedient in this? You see, that's humility in action. Is when you see somebody who has had something against you, and you remember that and you say, I'm, I've got to go and try to make, make it right. As far as it depends on me, I've got to try and live at peace. You know, I've had re- various relational tensions over the years of, of uh, pastoral ministry, missionary life, and so on. I have, had, I have situations right now I could tell you about that are, are examples where I, I have tried to make a relationship right. And I've gone to them and they have said, get out of my face. I don't want to talk to you. And I have had to leave that in another city. And I have to just accept that. There's other times when there's been relational tension or offense and I've gone to people and there's no way we are going to agree on the history of this thing. There is no way that my set of facts and their set of facts are ever going to be congruent and line up. So we have to make a decision. Either we decide, well... Screw you, I'm going my way, you go your way. Or we can decide that the relationship 
that we have, the kingdom of heaven, and this life is so short that we must just put aside our differences, agree to disagree, and walk in fellowship. Sometimes down the road, God makes it a little more clear to be able to reconcile. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. How far are you prepared to go? How far are you prepared to go? Thirdly, it says, leave room for God's wrath. Don't return evil for evil. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. And leave that room for God to act in His way. That's found in Romans chapter 12, 19. David understands this principle. I know David understood this principle because he talked about it in chapter 24. He talks about it in relationship to Saul over and over again. Chapter 24, verse 12, talking to Saul, David says, May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you, Saul. I'm leaving this to God. David understood this. But with Nabal, he couldn't, couldn't live it out. He just snapped. He had to take vengeance in his own hands. And by the mercy of God, David is stopped in his reckless tracks by the words of Abigail in verse 30. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing, says, you'll not have on your conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed of having avenged yourself. And David says, blessed are you, woman. You've kept me from something stupid. I think that we can all agree that judgment is most impaired when we're acting or reacting based on our own personal hurts and offenses. We can be a little bit more objective when it's somebody else that we're defending the cause of. But when it's a personal offense, it's, it's hard to be objective. It's, we need to take pr- precious cautionary measures to, say, to make sure that we're not being foolish and reactionary and just having a subtle means of revenge underhandedly in our reactions. I, 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 you know, if you want to get the uncensored version of the sermon, you've got to come to the 9 o'clock service. I shared a little bit more with... Uh, because with, this one goes online. I can't be... You know. And... Uh, but I'll tell you a little bit of it. I, 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 I struggle sometimes how much to self-disclose... Uh, and, and I, I waffle between those things. I think some matters are meant to be not as much this way, and I think other matters are meant to be that the incarnate word comes incarnate through a preacher that's also struggling just like you are with some of these principles. And I thought about a situation that happened in my first pastoral ministry. A woman in the church was very critical of me. And she, was, uh, she would say things on the way out of church after the sermon, the most vulnerable time for a pastor, okay? Um, and... Um, and, and over and over again, I remember one time at a church meeting, she said some things, I just wanted to crawl in a hole. And I just felt like it had come, to, it had just gotten, the cup was full. And I decided I had to confront it. And I, Pat, I, asked, I asked Pat, we said, well, let's have the couple over to, to coffee. And they came over for coffee that evening, not knowing at all what the agenda was. First mistake. And And they came over and, 
And we, we had a wonderful evening. We were having a great visit. And I actually remember thinking to myself halfway through the evening, maybe I shouldn't bring this matter up. But then I thought, no, got to go, stay, stay to, the, stay to the, the agenda and so on. And I brought the matter up and I just said to this woman, you know, I want you to know that you've offended me on various occasions. You seem to always say things like this and, and it's not right. You shouldn't be doing that and so on. Well, it just silence came over our living room. And it was awkward, and, and I kept on, and I think she started crying. I, I remember her husband responding, and then she said a few things. And You know, the thing that's hard to admit is that I had planned on playing hockey that night, and a guy was picking me up, and I had left two or three hours because I figured this thing would be done by then, but it wasn't, and my ride came. And me being so so foolish... Having got this off my chest and feeling better about things, I I left them, Pat and these two people. (laughs) Scored a hat trick that night. (laughs) But I came home to a different scenario. And Pat had to deal with them being very hurt and leaving the home shortly after I left. And then I had to go the next day to her, this woman that was a teacher, and I went to her classroom after school and tried to, to make amends, and she was deeply offended. I think, in hindsight, I was really not leaving room for God to act on this one, that I had to deal with it myself, and that in some way I was blinded to the fact that I was somehow seeking revenge. I was somehow acting on my own behalf, not not thinking of the bigger picture. You know, the bottom line is, the bottom line is, are you prepared to trust God with all the unresolved stuff? Are you prepared to trust God with the wounds that you carry because of past offenses? Do you trust God enough to know that He's bigger than you, He sees better than you, He's objective like you're not, and He can take care of you? As well. In the case of David with Nabal, David was granted the ability of not killing, but rather seeing God act. And, uh, and the bottom line is, as our last point states, overcoming evil with good. David says, or Paul says in Romans 12 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, when we listen to the words of Abigail in this passage, it's like listening to the prodding of the Holy Spirit. And she says to David, David, don't be foolish. You're fighting the Lord's battles. Don't get caught up in personal vendettas. And she used the analogy of the snare, the sling. And and David must have immediately thought of fighting Goliath. And yeah, that was the Lord's battle, no question. And then he must have thought about how foolish he looks with 400 men behind him going to fight and kill a man, just because of some stupid words. How foolish anger can make all of us look if we let it control us. Friends, I would encourage you to think this, this morning about anybody that God, the Holy Spirit, has brought to mind. What kind of injury do you carry? What kind of relationship is it that maybe has come to mind? And as we conclude with the song, I'd ask you to lift up the situation to God as you conclude and And then I'm going to ask Pastor Alf to come after the song and conclude us with a benediction. Let's sing together.